Dotnet Rocks episode 853 with guest Glenn Block. Recorded live Thursday, March 7th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePAK.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone 7, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard coming to you from your mobile device. Yes, we are in your head. Yes. And the reason I say that is because we have the new mobile app and people are loving it because it's not just a podcast downloader, which by itself would be great because I hear in your country, Richard, you can't get those. Oh, yeah. And pretty much if you're on WinPhone, there's no podcast anywhere other than the U.S. Yeah, that's crazy. So anyway, we have an app. It works everywhere. And it's on iOS, Android devices, WinPhone 7, WinPhone 8. And uh, we have the comments engine embedded in there, links. So you can actually leave comments with your phone and they show up on the website and vice versa. Right. Yeah, great stuff. And the synchronization feature. So if you're using more than one device, when you log in with your same account, it knows what shows you've listened to, which ones you haven't, and how far along you are. Right. So your, your, your list stays the same. It's and really it was our good smart. friends at Diatom Enterprises that built these apps, and they're awesome. And if you'd like to have awesome apps, hey, if you're a podcaster, this is Skinnable, another podcast. We plan to put the rest of ours in it, too. Just contact them at diatomenterprises.com. Yeah, cool. Hey, I got some good news. Hit me. Uh, you ever heard of the guitar player John Schofield? I have indeed. He is amazing. Yeah, he's a he's a huge guy. He's played with Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock and Modesky Martin and Wood. He's touring with the dead right now. Anyway, uh, he's playing on my album. Wow. Congratulations, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, he's coming in May to Pop Studios, and uh, I've written a song for him to play with the guys and me, and uh, it's going to go on my solo album, which will be called Been A While, and that'll be out later in the year. But that's all I want to say about that. Okay. Let's move on. Better Know Framework. All right, what do you got? You know, Every once in a while, I see a company out there, and they're not paying for advertising or anything, But um, and I sign up, and I get have just a great experience. So I got to give out some props to Twilio. Oh. Twilio.com. T-W-I-L-I-O.com. So this is basically an SMS service, right, so that you can send messages from a particular number instead of just, you know, using a web uh, an email-based, uh, you know, send to your phone. You actually get a phone number, and the phone number is associated with your account, and you can send and receive messages, and there's an API, and it's great, and it's fast. And not only that, but you can um, assign your existing cell phone number to them. So if you have a, a cell phone number that you want to use. I, I looked it up, and I got a, a number that is in my area code and prefix. So. It's kind of cool. cool. Yeah, great. And it stuff just works. And uh, it's not that expensive. And uh, I just had a great experience with it. I want to give some props to Twilio. They should be advertisers, exactly. Well, who's talking to us, Richard? 
I grabbed a comment off of show 851 with Thomas Patricic, who was just one of our deep dives into F-sharp, a part of a series of F-sharp shows we've done recently Mm -hmm. uh, that people have seemed to really like. And this was a comment from Mike Henderson, who says, Great show! On this and another recent show, the topic of practicing has come up. I am writing to give a resounding hear-hear to these remarks. The idea of spending a long day at work and then coming home to code some more may sound a little nuts, but there's a great benefit in doing this. It's important to explore new languages, concepts, and technologies, even if it doesn't appear to have an immediate practical use in your day job. Hmm. I have been an F-sharp enthusiast for years now, but have yet to use it on a paying project. Yet I think the practice of learning a functional language has made me a better programmer, which does help me in my day job. Yeah. The concept of practice, as described, is like scientific research. In other words, research with no obvious practical application. The practical application of practice will bubble up in unexpected places, like a scientist studying the anatomy of an exotic fish's eyes, which then leads to new cataract treatments. I would even go so far as to say it's more like uh, practicing a musical instrument. Yeah. You know, you're building muscle memory uh, yeah. with your with your brain. Better reflexes. And it's one of these things that you're n- you're never perfect at. You can only get better at. Yeah. So. And I, the big one that I got out of the book, uh, Talent is Overrated, was this idea that doing the work is not practice. Playing the song, it doesn't necessarily make you better. Right. Practice is almost inherently unpleasant. Yeah. It's pushing against the edge of your ability. That's right. And it's the only way we really get better. Yeah. And if it doesn't hurt, you're not doing it right. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for your great comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, you can write a comment on the mobile apps for Windows, Android, or iOS, or on the website at .NET Rocks.com. Hey, Richard, we're going to Norway again this year to the Norwegian Developers Conference. Yes, we are. Love NDC. We always have a good time there. So that's going to be June 10th and 11th for the pre-conference workshops and June June 12th through the 14th for the session proper. And until March 15th, they have early bird pricing. An all-access pass, which is both days of the pre-con, all three days of the conference, is 15,200 kroner. The regular price after March 15th is 18,200 kroner. So you can save yourself 3,000 kroner if you get signed up this week. That's right. And uh, we're going to be there. We'll be on the floor in the fishbowl as we have been every year. They usually have a great band that plays, you know, rock arena style right there in the Oslo Spectrum. It's going to be fantastic. And don't forget the OCD room, my favorite place where every single session is on a screen in one room and you wear this great headset that has a switcher for each of the audio tracks. So if you want to watch six sessions at once, you can. And you get to hang out with us. So what's better than that? Check it out at ndcoslo.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online with nearly 400 hardcore developer training courses offered by MVPs and industry experts, releasing 10 to 15 new courses every month, offering a free 10-day trial of 200 minutes. Pluralsight offers a full curriculum on software practices, including Agile, Scrum, TFD, and a full library of design patterns. Try Pluralsight today. Subscriptions start at just $29 a month. And with that, let me welcome back to the show Glenn Block. Glenn is a PM on the Azure team, providing support for hosting of Node.js applications in the cloud on Windows Azure. He has experience both inside and outside Microsoft developing software solutions for ISVs and enterprise. 
He's also been active in involving folks. Uh, hold on, hold on. We need we need to update that abstract. That thing is so boring. I've, I I I I don't use that description anymore. Oh my god. Well, you're you're not subdued anymore. That's for sure. You got that that's, right. That's right. So let's just say that I focus on making Azure a kick-ass platform for open source and. Glenn Blocks tools. kicks Azure's ass. No, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we could say that on the uh, air, but you know, you can you can edit it. But that other one is so boring. Oh, I used well. to be in this. Phase where I wanted to look boring, but I now, you know, I'm subdued and now I'm coming out of my shell. All right. Well, we will update that. But Glenn, welcome back to the show. And <laughs> thank, uh, you. thank you for not being subdued anymore because I was worried about you there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> As were many. Yes, I am. Uh, I am temporarily out of my shell. And not. Oh, and this is just the beginning. I mean, subdued is, you know, not subdued is an understatement. You are going nuts over here with script CS. What is this? So, you know, one thing that's exciting for me is like, this is the first time I'm on a show for something that I don't work on at my day job. Nice. Um, I mean, I'm not a stranger to open source. I've done lots of little projects if you go to my repo, but they've usually been little side things. None of them have touched a nerve like this new project uh, that we just started uh, about, that I just started about a week ago, but since then it's no longer just me. Um, what Script CS is, so for the last... 18 months, you know, I've been doing a lot of work with Node.js development um, and really loving, uh, you know, even though it was an adjustment, really loving this idea of, hey, just write code in a very lightweight text editor. Um, I don't need to do a build. Um, you know, I just have Node and I have my NPM modules and everything else. Um, and, you know, I don't, the tooling is very, very light. Um, and there's there's pros and cons on that, but really enjoying that experience. And you know, we came out with this thing, Azure Mobile Services, which I think really shined the benefits of that experience where you can basically have a mobile backend um, that uh, allows a developer to write scripts in JavaScript for code that's going to execute on the server. Hmm. But they don't have to be like a full-blown Node developer, even though it actually uses Node. Um, they just think about very simple scripts and you get these um, extension points where you can uh, get in the middle of the pipeline and say, hey, like if somebody's trying to send me some data, I can validate that data and say, well, I don't like the data that you sent me, so I'm going to send you back some type of error or warning or whatever. But the experience is like you don't need an IDE. You just write it in the portal, actually, or you use a text editor. And so well, I started to think... Well, go I was going to say, you can do that now. With You could write your C-sharp apps in Notepad and compile with a compiler. What is it about script CS that makes that easier? So there's no compiler per se. Um, you're not pre-compiling into DLLs. There's no project. Um, it, it, script CS is really trying to bring a lot of the kind of node-like experience to C-sharp of mm. where I can author apps just very simply in a text editor. Um, and it also relies heavily on this idea of packages. Mm -hmm. So in Node, you would use like NPM. Well, in .NET, we have this flourishing package story with NuGet. So what Script CS really says is if you look at how technology has progressed with introduction of things like a package manager in .NET, with introductions of a technology that we're leveraging called Roslyn, mm. um, which makes it really, and, and one of the things that Roslyn does, I mean, Roslyn does a lot of things. It lets you rewrite code and analyze the syntax tree for your code within VS. Yeah. But Roslyn also supports this CSX file, which is just a loose C-sharp file that it turns into a 
you know, running application. Right. Um, so what, what script CS is doing is saying, Hey, there's Roslyn, which is a CTP. So let me make it clear that Roslyn has not shipped yet and it may change, but there's editors like sublime text that have become really popular as text editors. There's NuGet for packages mm -hmm. and there's Roslyn for scripts. So can we put all those together and get a nice solution for allowing me to build you know, different types of apps, maybe not every app that I would build in Visual Studio and do it in a very lightweight way. Um, and that's what Script CS is really about. It's giving you a new way to author C-sharp applications that doesn't require a project, that doesn't require a build process, hmm. um, and leverages some of the benefits that you get in Script, even though it's actually full-fledged C-sharp. So somebody was asking on Twitter, like, how does this differ than from the DLR. It's not the DLR at all. The DLR is the dynamic language runtime that we used for things like Iron Python or Iron Ruby. Right. This is proper C sharp. It's just a different way to execute it and interact with it. Now, do you see this running in the browser someday? <laughs> um, uh, that's not a goal, but yeah. Uh, sure. I mean, that's something that could be explored. Um, we've gone down the path of trying to push our own things into browsers. Um, mm. I'll, I'll leave that to others that, that might want to go down that path. That's certainly not a goal here. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and that didn't mean to derail you there, but it does seem like, uh, you know, you're... I think we have tried that before, right? Yeah. Uh, at least, you know. You, we, the royal we, Microsoft. <laughs> yes. Hmm. Yeah, you tried a few browser technologies. <laughs> it hasn't yeah, but, always worked but out. The time it hasn't was, always worked out that well. Well, you know what, though? Times were different, I think, in the ActiveX days, in the VB script days. The times sure. were really different. Sure. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I we'll just see. like the idea of a scripting language that's strongly typed. Yeah. That's an interesting hybrid here, is the fact that it really is still strongly typed. It's just that, um, you know, you, you don't have to go through a build process. And you, ha you have some benefits that you get with your ability to introduce stuff to script. But one of the things that's really nice is the way that it interacts with existing things. Like, although it's script, I can easily load any DLL that I want. I can access namespaces. I can use async await i can yeah. use generics it's yeah. the full-blown it's not a cut down link uh c-sharp language i yeah. mean it really is. the only thing it doesn't support well now is dynamic i found that out uh, <laughs> isn't that ironic that is so, pretty ironic <laughs> it is ironic that it doesn't support dynamic um but it hasn't you know it doesn't really block you though because you can just omit you know you can just write code for objects that you want and create them Sure. Um, but yeah, it doesn't support dynamic right now. So are you using Roslyn in ScriptCS? Yes, I am. Okay. I am using the Roslyn. So what's really cool, the Roslyn team has published these NuGet packages uh, for the Roslyn CTP. You don't even need Visual Studio to use them. Sure. Hmm. So I thought I had to install like the full-blown Roslyn CTP. You do that if you want to do stuff in Visual Studio. Like you can create some pretty awesome templates that are analyzing code and rewriting code and doing you like resharperish type stuff. Um, it's really, really cool. But if you just want to host the script environment or host the ability to take scripts and turn them into C-sharp uh, assemblies, uh, .NET assemblies, you can do that. And that's what we're doing. So it's a really minimal 
amount of dependencies. And it actually does create an assembly, by the way. That's another difference between it and, say, the DLR. You actually get an in-memory compiled assembly when you use Roslyn. You just don't see it and don't have to worry about it unless you need to. So I imagine that, you know, anybody who's doing any node is listening to this and going, oh, you know. So where, how can we compare in, in contrast, you know, upsides and downsides? So the way this is like Node, I would say, and it's not an accident. I mean, I'll sure. just, I said it very clearly in my blog post. I mean, that was intentional, is it's bringing more of a Node development style. It's not changing the language. So Node is, you know, a lot of people look at Node from one angle. They say, oh, it's about scale and performance, or oh, it's about this, or oh, it's about that. It's about a lot of things, including JavaScript, yeah. right? So this is C-sharp, full-blown.net, uh, aside from, you know, dynamic. Maybe that's the, uh, the one exception I should clearly mention again. But, you know, any other assemblies that I want integrates well with NuGet. So I think it's bringing kind of a Node development workflow mm. in um, where I can just write loose JavaScript files as an application, and then I can still interact with binaries, which, you know, that's the existing world. And that's where I think sometimes these efforts go off the rails and why I'm excited about no Roslyn. It's, it's not saying that, hey, if you go down this path, you have to discard everything you have and look at the bright new horizon that's in front of you if you build everything this way. It, it's got a very good story of any code that I've written before in .NET, aside from this small exception, um, is just going to work. And, and, and that, I think, is really awesome. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik, makers of Kendo UI. Are you a web or mobile developer who wants to build amazing sites and apps? Looking for the best tool out there that can really improve your development work? We've got the answer for you. Kendo UI is everything you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites and mobile apps. In the complete integrated package, you'll find a jQuery-based tool set that includes rich UI widgets, a powerful data source, dynamic data visualizations, and blazing fast micro-templates, all backed by industry-leading professional support. Visit the official Kendo UI website at kendoui.com slash .net, that's D-O-T-N-E-T, to find out more about Kendo UI or download the free 60-day trial with support. Also, Tablet Show number 19 was an interview with Todd Anglin on the Kendo UI. Richard and I talked to him at length about this great tool set. That's at thetabletshow.com and look for show number 19 in the archives. And when you talk to the Telerik guys, make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So what's been the reaction? How's the community uh, reacting to this? You know, the reaction, it's only a week, but the reaction since this really launched on GitHub, uh, and you can go to github.com slash scriptcs, and we have an organization there. Uh, I say we because it's no longer just me, um, but the reaction has been really good. This really touched a nerve. I, I tweeted about it before I actually put it up there, and I just said, hey, you know, what do you guys think if you could have an experience of writing a .NET app without needing a project in a text editor and use NuGet packages. And like, there were a few people who said, oh, there's other efforts out there that let you do similar kind of things. Um, and, but overall reaction was like, yes, I want that. Yes, give me that now. Yeah. Uh, and then when I put it out there, um, it, you know, it's really exploded with a lot of interest. We've already gotten a ton of contributors. I mean, it's open source. So mm -hmm. to be clear, this is a side project that I started. This mm -hmm. is not 
something I'm doing for any particular team or sure. anything like that. And, you know, built in is also the idea of this is not something that is supported. You're not going to call Microsoft support and say, hey, I'm using Glenn's. You might, but, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. this is, this it's is, not going to go well if you do. It, exactly. And, you know, this is not this is not sending an implicit of like, oh, my management wants me to do this. It's just a thing that kind of took off. But what happened is immediately, so I was inspired to do this also, it's, it's fair to say, by a guy whose Twitter handle is Philip underscore Waj. And I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but it's like Philip Wojczyzin. Okay. Um, and he is very involved on the ASP.NET Web API side. Um, he's done, he's a, he's external. He's not at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. He did a really cool blog post on using Roslyn to create web APIs as script. And I looked at his example and he was just using raw, uh, Roslyn. Mm. And I saw a bunch of things that he had done and, you know, he had to like, Roslyn has this ability to reference binaries. So he had, um, referencing these binaries, you have to put the full path of the binary. And I look at that and I was like, if I'm using a script, I don't want to deal with that. So I went in the direction of, can I get rid of needing to put all those explicit binaries if I come up with a model of just NuGet packages? And that worked out really well because all the things that he was referencing were actually things available as NuGet packages. Yeah. Um, so I reached out to him and, and he, re he responded really well to it. And, he's, and I was like, well, you inspired this thing. Like, help me take it forward. Let's, let's work on it together. And then another guy, Justin Rusbatch, who worked on this really cool website, compilify.net, <laughs> which is kind of a JS fiddle for C sharp. It's just, if you go to the website, you get to just write some script and run it. He also used Roslyn. So the three of us last weekend had a Skype call and we just talked about this thing. And then at that point, it was just a repo living in my account on GitHub. Mm -hmm. And right after that call, like we got really energized. We created a website. We created a GitHub organization. We created guidelines for contributors. We created a roadmap. All this happened within like the last five days. Or yeah, just days. took a quick boo into GitHub here. You yeah. checked in the first bits on February 27th. So it's recording this on March 7th. So it's been eight days. Mm. There Maybe are 18 contributors here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's it's You set uh, off a bomb. Which I get accused of, but this one <laughs> it's uh this one is definitely getting a lot of interest. We came up with this idea of like, hey, it would be cool to have a sublime text plugin, right? So I could get syntax highlighting and maybe running my apps from within Sublime. And somebody went and did it already. So uh Jonas Faloso, uh who's somebody I've known for a long time, jumped. Yeah, we've in had him on the show before too. Yep, Eunice. Yep. He went in record time and, you know, it. he didn't have to write a lot because it was already something he could build off of. But it was just he knew where to go and had the energy to do it. And we got it up and running and there's a separate repo for that. And now I think he's published it as a public uh, Sublime Text plugin, which is really, really cool. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, definitely Justin and uh, um, Philip went nuts with adding stuff and we had people jumping in to file bugs and it's been a challenge for me because i haven't had a project like this where like immediately people were trying to do features too yeah and then we had to start having this like it was moving so fast and we suddenly had to say wait a minute we need to slow down like ha. we need to maintain some control of the core yeah people were coming at us with these massive contributions and we're like wait a minute 
All right, how do other open source projects do this? We're learning on the fly, and we're like, okay, we need to basically say that if people want to do fixes, great. If people want to do features, we need to have a conversation about it. So we yeah. created a Jabber room. There's a there's a room on Jabber for Script CS where they are now, and our guys are there. Uh, Philip and Justin are there. If you guys want to ask questions, um, and we created a mailing list. Uh, and we said, hey, we put out guidelines that said, hey, look, if you want to do a feature, great, but talk to us about it. Because right. I also don't want to waste people's time. One sure. guy I felt bad for, he went and implemented a whole feature that we had filed as a bug that uh, uh, we were intending to do the work. Hmm. But I filed it as bug instead. So he went and did it. And then it was like, well, we really don't want to set a precedent of just accepting stuff into the core. We want people also to build up credibility over time. And the best way to do that is you start by doing patches. And from right. you know, and that's how other projects do it. But it's like we've been learning on the fly and it's moved faster than I've ever hoped. So we're like scrambling, trying to get on top of stuff as pull requests are pouring in. Yeah. But it's a good problem to have. Sure is. Yeah, geez. Um, yeah, the, you have the opposite of a normal problem. It's a great case study in you know how to handle uh, a, a successful, popular open source project. And, you know, it's it's still very preliminary. I mean, if it keeps going the way that it's going, yeah, I think it could be phenomenal. It's 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 touched a button and it's very hot. It'll it'll be interesting to see where it goes and does that momentum keep up but what do you think I, the button actually is glenn is it the no ui you know just working in a text editor thing like what's what or you know implement, what actually working against Roslyn? i'm trying to figure i get that people are excited about this i'm just trying to figure out exactly what it is that makes it important so one is no cs proj no solution no ResX files none of that right that i think is a big one that has resonated well with and that's people. what people love about node too right you like know, I said, this wasn't an accident. <laughs> yeah, so I would imagine that, you know, it's the people that have experience with Node and then find themselves, geez, if I could just do a link query here, you know, or... You people know, or use LinkPad, right? There's a lot of people that use this great tool called LinkPad right. to do a lot of ad hoc stuff that are looking at it and saying, yeah, that's useful, but with this, I can package up something that is reusable. Right. Um, and then, the, you know, the other problem that we've always had with scripts is how to distribute them. So one of the things we're thinking about is, you know, people can start to actually write scripts and package those up as NuGet packages. So then you get out of the copy and pasting. And we have some places where we think that's actually interesting. I know I'm talking about this now like it's this well-established thing. Right. And it's not, but it just we occurs think to you, in actually. our heads. We think, <laughs> we're thinking in our heads, you know, it's self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. Uh, so we're having discussions as if we've been around a long time, even though we are only, uh, you know, as a team, really, since the weekend and the whole project's eight <laughs> days old. But, you know, think big and it'll happen. As you were talking to us, you probably came up with a few new ideas, you know? <laughs> Probably like, hey, so. how about this? No, but it's really interesting watching. So if you go to our repo, aside from the app, the the script CS itself, you'll see there's some examples there. And the examples are really cool because they show you some of the things that people are trying to do. Now, one of the problems we first hit into, which you'll see in those samples, is, hey, Rosalind really wants everything to be a single script. But if I'm working in scripts like with Node, I have this concept of require, and I can have different scripts distributed. So what we saw is that Roslyn, um, there's this, in VS, there's this experience called the Roslyn Interactive. And the uh, Interactive Editor has this concept of, num you can put a, uh, 
a directive called load that says load this other script. So we implemented that into script CS. It's something that is not built into the Roslyn API, hmm. though I think it should be. So if you go and look at some of our samples, like the service stack one, which I think Demis, who's always giving me a hard time, is going to be really happy <laughs> to hear me plug service stack. Yeah. Um, it's a web API thing. Yeah, but, we had him on the show just a few weeks ago. Yep. Exactly, and I'm, I'm sure he, 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 yeah. He told yep. us all about how incompetent Glenn Block is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Uh, I don't feel that way mutually about him, so that's good. But no, Demis is a great guy. We hung out in London, and we had a great time together when, I was, when, when we actually hung out. Um, but um, somebody's written a sample using ServiceStack, actually. It was Philip. And if you look at it, everything is in script, and it's using NuGet packages. Nice. And it's taking advantage of having the nice separation so it doesn't have to all be in one big file. If you look at it, if you go into our examples, you'll see that it uses that load directive that we have so that you can basically split things out so they're more maintainable. And then you can actually get some reuse because you could say, well, my models have to get used across multiple scripts. I just put them in a models.csx which is the extension for Roslyn. And it works really, really nice. So now imagine that I could take common scripts that have usefulness. I don't have to make them into a DLL. If they work well, I can just distribute those as NuGet packages. And we're going to make it so that script CS can, the same way it can load DLLs from NuGet packages, we're going to make it also so we can load Roslyn scripts from those NuGet packages as well. I think this whole mindset of packages over assemblies is a bigger deal than we're really thinking about. I think you're yet. right, Richard. And I think this is driving it. I, I agree with you. And that that uh, that struck me when I looked at Philip's sample. Is like with packages, things that before were very hard become easy. Like sure. I just have to know the package name. I don't have to know. You know, we could even go further and say, like one of the things we're doing right now is. We're trying to embrace the NuGet idioms, like you have a packages.config in the folder with the NuGet packages, mm. and then it makes it easy, just like you do with Node apps, to deploy your scripts with your packages.config so you no longer have to package up the DLLs. That is huge because nobody wants to put their DLLs in GitHub repos anyway, and VS is bringing this, but now it's coming. When my mind got blown is when I started to contemplate and say, well, what if we actually start to put scripts in NuGet packages? And have common scripts that are just no different than a DLL. And Roslyn even allows you to do pre-compilation and other things or even create DLLs on the fly from those scripts. So it really gets quite interesting that I, I see the work that we're doing as really exploring the future. I don't think we're there yet, but I think a lot of the work that we're doing can actually inform where things go. Oh, and because I think it absolutely is informing where things are going. You, you're probably, we'll come back to this next year and it'll be a completely different conversation. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Ah, it must be that happy time again. It's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, I need to tell you that Telerik Kendo UI is everything you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites and mobile apps. And now Kendo UI comes with server-side wrappers for ASP.NET MVC. You'll be able to produce awesome HTML5 apps powered by Kendo UI without being forced to write JavaScript. Simply program on the server, and the Kendo UI wrappers will handle the HTML and JavaScript. You'll have fun, and your boss will be amazed. Visit the official Kendo UI website at kendoui.com slash D-O-T-N-E-T to find out more about Kendo UI or download the free 30-day trial with full support. 
And somebody's about to get a copy of Kendo UI along with everything else that Telerik does in the DevCraft Complete Collection. Who's our winner? That's a $2,000 value. Today's winner is Cornelius Wilkins. Congratulations, Cornelius. Golf clap for you, sir. He just did a spit take. I know. <laughs> it's like, that was me! Holy crap! <laughs> oh, wouldn't you like it to be you? Well, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members. Every year, we give away $5,000 worth of stuff, and every show, we give away a, a, a DevCraft Complete Collection. But, Glenn... If you had five grand to spend on toys, I think we asked you this in the other in the other show you just did recently. But maybe your answer has changed now that you know you're a big time uh, script CS guy. <laughs> <clears throat> maybe uh, you want to buy more text editors or something. I don't know. Uh, what would you What would you buy with five grand? So I probably would buy every game system. I think I'm going to make this one easy. So wow. I probably would buy like every game system, including portable ones, like you know the new Nintendo one. That's How much does idea. that get me? That gets me up to like probably two grand. Yeah, and um, maybe easy. Uh, you know, and then I would need like a new TV, 3D with the new active uh, display thing. Um, so that can easily get another two grand. So nope. that leaves about a thousand bucks left, and I'd use that for games across all of them. Nobody there wants a subwoofer. What the hell is their problem? You guys don't think about oh, audio, you know, it's man. Stereo. I need a stereo. That no, no. I already have. I assumed that. One, okay, so the two thousand dollars would probably be a TV and a stereo system. All right, here right. you go. There you go. But three D is the key. It's got to be an all up three D gaming system with all of the different consoles. Because of course, you you don't want you don't want to act on that till later in the year now. Because the PS four has been announced and the next Xbox is clearly coming. You know. I want that connect that that thing that they show in the commercial where you know the game goes beyond the TV. Yeah, right. yeah, you want that cave. looks really awesome. Though I am very suspicious when I see that about how much of that is real. Oh, and, it's all yeah. real. Oh, Glenn, nothing's real. It's all in your head. <laughs> this is like the Matrix. It's, it is the Matrix. It's how like could you Pepper tell the Land. You know what though? Speaking about the Matrix, I think a bunch of people that have played with this actually do have like a Matrix-like experience when they go in and they try this JavaScript stuff out. Like it's just oh, alternative reality kind it's of a, thing. It's people a red just pill. At it. Yeah, it's like people are just, you know, maybe it's not. It's probably the reverse. It's probably like it's creating a Matrix as opposed to coming out <laughs> of the Matrix. But I also feel like it's sort of an anti-framework movement. It's like, let, let me strip down to the bare essentials of what matters to me and then build it up. Rather than be surrounded by options and have to pick and choose. Yeah. Which is actually a big place where the framework is going anyway. Like if you look yeah. at a lot of the work that ASP.NET is doing now with Katana and Owen, um, and some people have said, like, how does this work with that? I mean, they'll just interoperate. Like I could basically have, you know, if you look at um, Philip's example, I mean, he shows spinning up a web API host. I could spin up an Owen host. And Katana is all about, you know, I want to use NuGet. I want to build up things by pulling in packages. So I think these two actually go very, very well. And a lot of people that really like what's happening in the Katana space, which is, you know, really giving you a much more kind of pluggable, lightweight web framework where you can build things up the way you want to, um, are going to like this. Um, you know, like this. It's going to resonate with them. And that, that's what I've heard so far. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It just it just speaks to this whole idea of a com really composing apps, bringing in the packages as you need to, and it you know it brings up an interesting question around the whole Roslyn CTP thing because I don't think there's a go live license for Roslyn. Am I allowed to deploy this? 
Right. So there is no go live license, um, but it's on NuGet, right? So you mm. can get the NuGet packages. You can't take those binaries and distribute them. Okay. Um, and you know that is yeah. I'm not. I'm not. Nothing's changed with this project as far as the Rosalind licensing. Uh, and that's why you should really think about this as experimentation. Yeah. But some people are looking at it for automation, which is interesting. They're saying, well, you know, well, I and as long as the deployment, I some things I could just write a C sharp script for some other thing. You know, but Glenn, as long as the deployment involves pulling the package from NuGet, right. are Fine. you actually violating any licenses? Uh, I don't think so, but I'm not the expert. Like I know this. Um, you know, definitely you shouldn't co- take those binaries and deploy them outside your company. Uh, right. You can't, like I mean, that's what that license me. is really about is giving you permission to actually deploy the binary. You know, it seems yep. like semantics to me. I mean, you are essentially deploying them by proxy, aren't you? I mean, no, I mean, but the bottom line is it's legal for anybody to go get the package from NuGet. It is. It so is. It's out as there. long it's as that's it's how public. the deployment experience goes forward, so that the the endpoint goes and fetches from NuGet, I think we're inside license. You know, there's a there's a line we haven't even considered yet, which is the security in in the the package model. You know, and I know that you know you're you have hard coded URLs in your code that go and download things, but we we sort of had more concern about security. You know, five years ago, then we do now. You mean you mean hard coded against NuGet? Yeah, hard coded against oh, we NuGet. Actually or... don't, we actually don't download anything. So let me correct you there. Okay, we've taken a model very similar to Node, which is, hey, you, it's up to you to get your packages, and there are tools like NuGet.exe, you know, that you can use command line tool. That's what we recommend if you look through our quick starts. So you are relying on NuGet, which yes, itself does some URI stuff, but that's actually maintained by Microsoft to get those packages. Are there any other security issues that we're overlooking here? The only, well, I mean, at the end of the day, this is all user code, right? You're writing it. So there's nothing magical there. Now, one of the scenarios we want to enable is extensibility. So extensibility is where we, Roslyn is a library and we've taken our parts that we added above and beyond Roslyn and made that into its own library as well, which is called scriptcs.core. There'll be a NuGet package out there soon for that. Okay. Um, this is a common pattern. NuGet has NuGet.core. So you could conceptually say, hey, I build an app like a CRM system and I want to allow people to extend it with scripts. This goes back to my MEF days. And as a matter of fact, I'm using MEF as part of that extensibility story. Nice. No surprise there. Figures. Um, the question Still a MEF but you'd get the same thing even when people were building MEF apps that weren't script is what's the isolation model? There's no isolation model, but you can implement your own. You know, like you can say, hey, I'm going to spin up a separate app domain and I'm going to load scriptcs.core and Roslyn and all that stuff into that app domain and those scripts are going to live there. Well, then you're going to get into marshalling questions, right? How do I get data across to that separate thing? And there's a bunch of interesting ways you could do that. Like one of the things we do in IIS Node, which is our Node implementation for, uh, well, it's our implementation that allows Node to run in IIS. We actually use HTTP over name pipes to talk from IIS to the Node app because Node EXE is not today hostable within, it, within the process. It's got to be a separate process. But name pipes are fast and, and that's how we communicate. So one could take that by extension, and I was just telling somebody this in Jabber, and they could write a self-host for, say, Web API 
that uses name pipes. And then huh. they could talk from talk to their extensions, which are running in a separate process or running in a separate domain using name pipes, but then rely on all of the stuff that Web API or Service Stack or whatever provides you for serialization from JSON. And you're all local anyway. So it's probably fine. You know, you may not want to write a stock, uh, you know, a real-time uh, stockbroker app, but for lots of apps, that may be fine. But we don't sure. do anything there. So isolation is a problem, but it's been a general problem and the world hasn't fallen down. I mean, most extensibility apps that I know of out there don't do that level of isolation. A few really big ones do. VS does. Because it's hard. And because people just say, well... You know, as a customer, if I opt to load some extensions, I should know what I'm loading. Now, yeah, there's always a possibility some malicious code could take over and bring the app down. That's a risk you take, but it's not a risk that Script CS introduces anything really new. Mm -hmm. Because dynamic loading in the .NET framework has always been possible. And yeah. when you load, you could be loading some code that could do something malicious. Um, now, so yeah. that, you know, that's just the way it is. Surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the feature list of active reports. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support, so that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active reports from Component One. Smarter components for smarter developers. And, and do you provide a manifest, essentially, for what they need to load? What we do is, originally, we were doing it all by convention. We were saying, right. hey... If you drop NuGet packages in a packages folder, we will willy-nilly load all those packages. We'll pick the DLLs out of those packages and we'll load them up. And if you ha and we'll copy those actually into a bin folder because there's a bug in Roslyn that we can't run them from where they are. So we move them into a bin folder. And you can have other DLLs there and we'll just load them all. We're moving to a model now where we're saying, well, one reason that's bad is if I'm missing something, it just blows up. You want to have some validation. So NuGet has this concept of a packages.config, which is a manifest. And what we're going to do now is we will only load against what is in that manifest. And we will tell you if the thing that's in that manifest is missing, but you still have to go get it yourself. So that's where we're moving to. We haven't figured out what to do for loose binaries yet. Like in the .NET framework, if you just drop loose binaries in a folder and the app finds them, they load. So we could make you have like a bin config. I don't want to do that because I feel it will be too, like packages, it's okay because they're groupings of things. Yep. For individual DLLs, I feel like we're going to start to go in that other direction of where we don't want to be and which will impact who would want to use this. So we really want to remove friction. Like if I put this at the highest level, I think friction, simplicity, these are all things that we're really focused on. And that feels like it would be uh, having a negative impact on that side. But I think for the packages, it's critical and, and we're going to do it. Awesome. Yeah. And I, and I just think this whole package mentality, irrespective of this project itself, it just speaks to an evolution in the way that we start building and deploying software. 
It's it's going to be really interesting. I'm excited to see, even from big companies, how people are seeing this and like, wow, this looks really, really cool. And it's not stuff you couldn't do before. But yeah. let me tell you where Rosalind makes it really nice. This is on the .NET side. Like if you, anybody who's dealt with CodeDome or iCodeDome compiler or what, you know, I even had somebody who pinged me on Twitter who was saying, hey, you could do this. It's a lot of work. With mm-hmm. Rosalind, it's like literally one line of code to take a script and turn it into something that can execute. And it gives you some really nice APIs for things like importing namespaces, adding references. So Mm. we actually want to take advantage of that in a new model we're going to roll out called script packs, which is this extensibility model that lets me say, Hey, like, let's say what I want to do is I want to use, uh, you know, script CS to host some web APIs. So there's a bunch of boilerplate crap I have to do, like new up a host web API by default doesn't know how to even deal with dynamic assemblies. Mm. That's a bug. But we want script packs to be a way where I could say, I write a web API script pack. It introduces a controller resolver that knows how to deal with dynamic. As a developer, I can just plug this in. And then all I write in my script is I write a controller and I call some APIs because Roslyn gives you the ability to pass some information from the host. You can expose APIs. There's no marshalling because it's all in process. They're just DLLs. Mm. You can expose things directly to the host. So I can expose to you a web API host that you can tweak and you can then say run or you know start server open server connection, whatever it is, and the server will start. But what we can do in that script in that um, script pack is make sure all the references and stuff are ready, new up the host for you, and do some boilerplate config. And we can even get rid of the usings because one of the things that I saw was doing like usings and imports when you start writing script. It gets painful because you don't have namespaces, you know, right. like you typos, all this other stuff. And when I deal with any kind of framework, there's usually a common set of namespaces that I need. So one of the things we hope that script packs is going to enable us to do is we can say, hey, this is a web API script pack. It will automatically import the common namespaces for you that you need to work with, which is just means your scripts are less error prone. Sure. And it's, you know, removing that friction. Hell, I wish and we so- had that feature in Visual Studio. I mean, I can resolve a namespace by clicking on it. But but if there's only one namespace where an object, you know, where a class lives, why not just put it in there? And, you know, you can do that. It's just we haven't been doing it. I mean, and that's an interesting question even to ask, like, you know, the Web API team and others is like, hey, why don't we do that? Why don't we look at just, you know, getting rid of those usings or at least make it an option, make it so I can check it. And if I check it, it's just gone and it's just assumed. Right. Right. Um, that, that's a really interesting idea. Uh, an even further one would actually be that NuGet packages publish the common namespaces sure. that people would use. And, you know, then that information is even available to just... And the only problem where the autom- automatic uh, handling of that gets tricky is when you have a collision. But, you know, yes. that doesn't happen very often. Yes. So. Yeah. And I think with a lot of the magic, you know, that's where the script packs are nice because they're opt-in. So it's like, hey, if I don't like what it's doing, I don't have to use it. I can just write my own thing. Right. Where and, and it gives us a chance to really focus on, and I would also say taking a hint from Node, and I'm not saying this is Node, but being really disciplined about what are the things we need to do within Script CS to enable others to do other things rather than trying to pre-bake them in. Right. I 
got a couple of questions off of Twitter, just going back to some of the fundamentals of, of script CS here. Uh, and one of them would just be debugging the code. That is painful right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, your script, so you can always do console.log. Yeah, yep. you, you are not in a... Now, I think there's a couple of different things to think about here, and we, we need to think about what that might be. Like, you can actually create a DLL. So one of the things we could explore is you being able to attach somehow to like saying if I want to debug, then it actually doesn't just create an in-memory DLL. It writes right. out the DLL. These these are things we can look at. I've talked to the Roslyn team, and as of now, debugging is officially not supported. But if you can get to a DLL and it's managed code, conceptually, you can attach to it. So I think that's an area we need to investigate. The The answer at this point is I don't know, but I have ideas that there'll be something. It won't be as good as the you know magical it just works in vs but i think there is a path that uh something might work and if anybody wants to jump in by the way this is a great place for somebody to say hey you know what let me keep the script cs guys focused on getting the things they need to get done i'm going to jump in and plot out a path for doing debugging we would love that yeah it, it absolutely it's going to be a challenge part of this just has to do with the way roslyn works too right there's only so much you can do well, but you can actually create a DLL and write it out. You yeah. definitely can do that. Um, but the question is, do you lose anything? And I don't know that. Like, for example, we have this runtime context. I haven't played with creating DLLs and seeing, does that just generate an API that accepts that as a parameter? If so, then yeah, I could certainly just pre-compile these things. Pre-compilation in general is something we definitely want to look at because if somebody wanted to host this on a web server, um, you know, they want to have that ability like when the process spins up, it might be nice to say, well, this thing is hasn't changed, so I just use the cached DLL. Right now when you use Roslyn, it definitely creates DLLs in memory. But if right. you're hosted, if you're going to try to put this on IIS, which I think some people want to, mm. and I have no idea how that's going to work, but people want to try it, they can go for it. Um, is that um, you know the process gets recycled. So how much of a hit do you get coming back up if it has to recompile? So I think compilation is going to be a big one that we need to look at. I would see that as higher even than debugging. For debugging, I would say, yeah, you're a little bit back to the ASP10 days. But guess what? You know what? I mean, I think a lot of people are okay with that because they're saying that, look, like there's lots of things that are still going to be binaries that are debuggable. And... I can decide how much I put in my script versus not. Yeah, and I also think you can tend to have less code and the code's going to be in separate modules. Like, you, you're you just not going to build as much code. It, so it should be, you know, the, this approach to composability and keeping it in separate packages just lends itself to, it's just not going to be that hard to debug. It's not that big. Yeah, I have, I have a friend um, in the Node community. His name is uh, James Halliday. His Twitter handle is Substack. He's written like hundreds of Node modules. He's known as like the leader of Node modules, the number of mo – and he's very big on, hey, everything should be a module, right? right? Most your code should be is putting a bunch of things together, which scripts work perfectly for. Sure. Um, you know, and then again, you could still imagine that modules are script, which is what happens in the node world, which I, which I think is interesting to explore. But I agree with you. If you write things in a less monolithic fashion, um, the debugging becomes far easier. Yeah, just it's just the the you're architecturally making it more debuggable. 
Yep. The other thing that, that jumps out to me as soon as we start speaking about script is the sandbox. Like, how, what kind of container are we talking about here? Because I, I suspect because it's C-sharp and just running, it's got everything. Access I, to think everything. I, I think I touched on that. Yeah, it is, you know, it is running in the host process, a dynamic assembly. This is just like as if you had gone and omitted your own dynamic assembly, only Roslyn is doing it for you. So, you know, if you use code access security, which I don't recommend, um, <laughs> you can, Who's you know, using code access friends security? don't let friends use code access security. You could, you, could, <laughs> you could lock things down that way. But as I mentioned earlier, the only surefire way to do it would be like spin up a separate app domain, which right. is possible, but we don't do it for you. But yeah, you're, you know, this is not, like with MEF, by the way, when I was on the MEF team, this isolation thing was a big question, and we specifically punted on it. We said, look, the selling point for MEF is not isolation. The selling point for MEF is making it easy to compose applications. Sure. And how you deal with making sure that that code is secure is really your problem. And if you decide you want to go to a technology solution like separate containers through things like app domains, you know – that's on you. Do it. But we don't want to sure. get focused on, you know, we don't want to like basically deliver one one hundredth of the features mm -hmm. trying to nail that problem because nobody has successfully nailed that problem in a magical way. And it seems like homegrown solutions are the only ones that have really worked out. Yeah, I could see a, nothing more than a sample of here's how you bind into an app domain. But that that's about it. You know, Richard, I'd love to see you do that sample. Uh, yeah, okay. Next yeah. week, maybe. It's a script. <laughs> Richard's going to write some code, man. Come on, dude. You could do this. Like, this is not a spectator sport. And you've got more knowledge of it than I do. So you should do it, man. You should. Right. And, I, and I love this whole aspect of what you've done here which is just throwing it out in the wild going, what if we did this and watching it go? I think that is what is really exciting me about it. You know, like people are eclipsing the small, the contribution I made, which was the foundation, is changing so rapidly now and so many people are adding to it. That's the thing that excites me is this hit a nerve and a bunch of people are like, hey, let's do this. And my attitude going into this was like, if people want to make this happen, great, let's do it. We need some order. It can't be complete chaos. But I think this is a very moldable project, which, you know, has its pros and its cons associated with it. But we've got, you know, three people core committed to it, which is me, Philip, and Justin, to say, hey, we're going to make sure that there's some semblance of sanity here. Um, but it's really open for people to jump in and take this forward. And, and that is really why I even put this out there was I was hoping it would strike a nerve. Um, and it struck a bigger one than I thought it would, or that we thought it would. So I'm happy to I'm happy to see that. That's fantastic. So um, I guess I mean you talked a little bit about what's on your to do list, but what's on your immediate to do list? So right now, script packs is almost done. Um, that's going to open up that extensibility model that I mentioned. Um, our NuGet binding algorithm was pretty crappy, but Jeff Hanley pointed us to use NuGet Core which we can rely on it to do the resolving for us, mm -hmm. which that's actually pending to be committed. Um, I think the validation piece is a big one of making sure that we only load what is in your packages.config. Those are big high items that are hanging off. Um, we got the Sublime plugin. I figured that was a low pry one. That's a great thing about the community. It was like a, we were writing this and thinking, who's going to ever have the time amongst us to do this? But 
somebody did it. It's out there and it gives you syntax completion and building, which is awesome. Um, awesome. So yeah, no, I think those are the big um, the big items, um, you know, the debugging one would be an interesting one, like I said, for the community to go and take. Um, we, we have a bunch of other ones. You can go on our, if you go on our sites, we have scriptcs.net, which is really just using GitHub pages, which has come a long way. It's like just taking our wiki and generating a website off of it, which is really nice. nice. Um, but there's a link there to like roadmap. You can also go to our GitHub issues. I mean, we're operating very transparently. You can see the issues that others are filing, like bugs and other stuff. But we have in the roadmap, and if you look in the roadmap, which is funny, we created on Saturday, and already several like major pieces on that roadmap list are done or close to done, which for me, you know, uh, comparing to my day job, that's actually pretty awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> no, it's amazing. It almost makes me wonder... Was script the right name here? Couldn't this be called Node CS? <laughs> well, I think that would push a few buttons, and I think it's the wrong thing. Oh, because right? you're afraid of pushing buttons? <laughs> no, no. I've already I push buttons all the time, but honestly, like I don't believe that's right. Node that is actually sending the wrong message because Node is way more. I mean, this has a couple of interesting aspects, right? Sure. But node is really you know non-blocking. I I mean, it's a bunch of things. And I think like somebody could be tempted to do that, but that's not me, especially because of my understanding really what Node is about. But I think it's clear to say that um, the work that the Node community has done has definitely impacted and influenced heavily what I'm trying to do here. But what I'm trying to do is take the learnings rather than just duplicate, take right. the learnings of what I've seen and what we have in our platform. And major kudos to NuGet. And, you know, things like that. And, of course, you know, we could support OpenWrap. That's another idea where mm -hmm. somebody could jump in. You know, there's people that really like OpenWrap as a package manager. But having any sort of package manager in .NET is a critical part of this story. And the sure. fact that the .NET framework is now really being active and the open source community into building out this module ecosystem really makes this thing possible. Without it, it, it would be far less interesting. Yeah, um, because I'd be doing a lot of copy and pasting and moving stuff around in Explorer, and you know the fact that here I have a command line tool to get packages. I use a text editor to write stuff. We optimize towards less is more in terms of configuration. Means you really have a pretty nice experience from the command line and using your editor and using NuGet. So I think this is really cool looking at how this correlates with the general direction the platform is going anyway. Not to say that everybody will be writing in script, but more modular, smaller, leveraging things like packages, convention over configuration, the, these kind of things that we've seen in the open source community and outside of the Microsoft ecosystem really taking off, as well as in the Microsoft ecosystem. And thanks very much. First of all, thanks for doing this, and, and uh, thanks for sharing it with the world. You are yeah, truly I an amazing individual. excited that... You guys wanted to have me on after the project is only eight days old. Well, but, you know, it's it's <laughs> exciting. It's exciting. It, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And, you know, I, we don't have a very hard roadmap. So really, the key to this project is going to be if the community really sees it as valuable and wants to take it forward. And what I can say is I think if you talk to the three of us, we're all very open to that happening. We just want people to also understand that there has to be some process here. We can't just get 
everybody just committing a bunch of stuff because we need to be able to rationalize it. Right. But we want to accept as many contributions as possible. And we're growing and learning. So I'd also ask for patience there. I mean, this is my first time on a project like this, even though I work on an open source project in my day job at Microsoft, that's a very different animal than something like this. So, um, you know, and it's not good or bad. It's just different. So, you right. know, People can be patient with us and even educate us on, well, other projects do it this way. We'll be happy to listen to that. And most of us have worked in a lot of different open source projects, so we're not completely new to it. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, it's just new for me helping to start a project where like, now I'm on the hook looking at all this stuff coming in and figuring out what the heck do I do with it. And also, like, how do I keep my family and keep my day job and do yeah. all this stuff? So. All that stuff. Not easy being dictator for life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, man. You uh, work on that subdued thing, and we'll talk to you later. Yeah, I didn't do too good on it. On oh, this. no, it's sort of leaking <laughs> away. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a van by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.